and we're going to talk about a really tough subject. We're going to talk about poverty, okay? Proverbs says a lot about poverty, and here's the verse that we're really going to land on. We're going to take a little bit to get there, but Proverbs 21.13 says this, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Father, we ask that um, you would give us grace as we look at this passage today. Father, we ask that you would um, open our eyes and our hearts to see how we can love you in loving the needy. God, show us how we can be like you in, in generosity and in compassion and in uh, need meeting. God, show us how we can partner with you in this, this great endeavor. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would reveal truth, that you would teach us today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so talking about poverty, the the place I actually want to start is kind of reminding you of some things that we've already looked at. And so one of the things I want to remind you of is from the standpoint of the book of Proverbs, we've been clearly taught thus far, there are worse things than poverty, okay? There are worse things than being financially resource poor, all right? So Proverbs starts out the first four chapters really telling us that the worst thing is to be wicked. Like the worst thing is not to be wise. There's a bunch of verses at the beginning of Proverbs that talk about that, uh, that wisdom is more valuable than gold, silver, jewels. There's a great verse at the beginning that says, no, no matter what you can desire, it cannot compare with the value of wisdom, okay? So, so first of all, Proverbs says wisdom is the best thing, okay? So, so wisdom is the best thing. Um, wisdom has the biggest payoff. Wisdom is, is, is better. There, 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 there are better things, okay, to, to hope for than financial security. One of the verses that talk about that is, is Proverbs 16. There's, there's a bunch of these better verses. I call them the better verses. It's like this is better than this. Proverbs 16, 19 says this. It says it's better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So, so it's better if you're humble. It's better to be humble and poor than proud and wealthy. Okay, that, that's what it's saying. So, so Proverbs is trying to get our value system straight here. All right. Now, the other thing that's clear in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom sometimes brings wealth. Okay, If you were here like two months ago, we, we looked at the sluggard, all right? So there's this theme through Proverbs about the sluggard. It's the guy that doesn't get things done. It's the guy that doesn't get his crops planted. He doesn't get his, his, his field worked. He doesn't get his, his, his timesheet in. You know, he just doesn't get things done. He puts things off. He's not diligent. And over and over again, Proverbs taught us that that leads to poverty and diligence or hard work or, or you know, you know, doing the right things, integrity, that will tend to lead to prosperity, okay? All right? Now, so that, that's a basic truth, and we want to hold that, all right? However, the thing I want to, I want to remind you of is that, that it's not that simple, okay? It's not that simple. Most things in life aren't that simple, are they? Most things in life aren't, aren't as simple as, okay, work hard, and everything will always be okay. The, the reality of the Scriptures is there's a lot of wealthy people in the Scripture who are wicked, right? Like, like, like they're, they, they didn't get to be wealthy because of righteousness. They got to be wealthy because of other reasons, and they're wicked. So Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, Pilate, the rich fool, the rich young ruler, the rich man Lazarus, those are all examples of people who were wicked and wealthy. And on the other side of that, there's a bunch of examples in Scripture of people who were poor and who were wise, okay? Hey, the greatest example, let me see, see if you ever heard of this guy, Jesus. You ever heard of him? So, so he did not have a lot of financial wealth, right? When he died, he had his, his, his robe. That was it. And they gambled for it. 
right? They, they, they gambled and took your for it. And yet Jesus was incredibly wise. And, and his poverty was, was incredibly complicated because it really wasn't because he didn't work hard. That wasn't it at all. In fact, Jesus had, had marks of great wealth upon him. Did you know that two times, at least two times in the scripture, Jesus fed over 15,000 people, you know? Uh, that, that's, that's wealthy, is it not? When you have 15,000 folks over to your house for supper and everybody eats and is full and you got 12 baskets left over, that's pretty rich. In fact, did you know that Jesus was a part of the largest commercial fishing catch on the Sea of Galilee ever? You know, that story's in there as well, right? So, like, like there, there are things in the Scripture where it, 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 the poverty is, is complicated, right? But yet Jesus actually became poor, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So what, what I want to start out with is just that poverty is, incredibly complicated. Can, can you be poor because of poor life choices? Absolutely. Can you be poor because of sin? Yes, because of generational sin, the sin of your fathers or the sin of your grandfather. Absolutely, that has a big impact on people's lives. Or can you be poor because of circumstances completely out of your control? Absolutely. People are orphaned. They have a disability. They experience a tragedy. They're in a terrible accident. You can live in a country absolutely torn to shreds by war. I was just visiting with uh, a guy in our last service from Nigeria. And if you even know anything about Nigeria right now, they are almost in a civil war. The Muslims are trying to exterminate the Christians, all right? And so there, there are a lot of people in Nigeria right now that they're impoverished. You know why they're impoverished? They were doing really well, and a raiding Muslim band came in and destroyed their house and burned their crops and killed their animals and, and, and maybe killed the dad. And now they're, well, why are they poor? Well, that's kind of obvious, you know, right? Like, like it was because of where they live. It's because of their situation. You can be poor because there's a wicked, oppressive government oppressing you. If you know anything about Venezuela, 40, 50 years ago, Venezuela was a place that was thriving with natural resources and wealth. One of the wealthiest oil countries in the world. Today, we've got friends in, in, in Venezuela. I have friends in Venezuela. Last time I talked to them, they just made a trip there. They said, it is absolutely devastating. They said, Caracas is a ghost town. People, nobody's on the highways. Nobody's on the interstates because nobody can have gas. There's no gas to buy. Like Nobody can thrive there because of, of an oppressive government. There are times where people are poor because of lack of opportunity. When you go into Chittisga, India, where Pastor Daniel and Casey and these guys are about to go, I think they're going up to Chittisga. If you're born in a village in Chittisga, you can be the hardest working guy in your village. You can be the smartest guy in your village. But if you stay there, you will probably never make close to what anybody in this room makes, okay? Just because of the geography of where you live. And so there are lots of different reasons that people fall into poverty. You can even be poor, impoverished. Again, maybe you live in Nigeria because you're a Christian. So in Proverbs 13, 23, it talks about oppression. Okay, it says the fallow ground of the poor man would yield much, but it is swept away through injustice. There are times where, where injustice, like oppression, persecution, people being mistreated and, and targeted for mistreatment cause of, causes systemic poverty. Or maybe it's a mixture of all of those things. Or sometimes it has nothing at all to do with a lack of resources. I would like for you to hear the book of Proverbs out. I think this is one of the most important things that Proverbs says, actually, about poverty, uh, is, it, is it helps you give a, a picture that it's not just a lack of resources. So, so look at Proverbs 14, uh, verse 20. This is an interesting couple verses. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Okay, now turn over to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. 
Proverbs 19.4 says this, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Listen, listen to verse 7. Proverbs 19.7 is a sad verse. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Okay, now, now, now th- those verses actually didn't have anything to do with money, did they? You know what they had to do with? Relational poverty. You know, the, you know the biggest, one of the biggest needs in people's life is the right relationships. In fact, listen, I was reading a, a really interesting book, when, uh, when, when Helping Hurts, okay? It's about how to really help people. And, and listen to this guy's description of the fundamental nature of poverty. He says, poverty is a result of relationships that do not work. They're not just. They're not life. They're not for life. They're, they're not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings, Okay? So, so here's, here's the thing I just want to tell you. It's complicated, okay? That, that's all I want really. I said all that I just said just so that you would see that poverty is complicated because I think if you have a one-dimensional view of poverty, then, then a lot of times upper middle-class Americans think of poverty in one way. Well, you're poor because you didn't work hard. Like I worked 80 hours a week and you worked 20 hours a week and that's why you're poor. Listen, that actually, when you go across the globe, that is not the case at all. It is much more complicated than that. And, and, and should we ask the question, why is somebody poor? Yes, we should ask that question that's a really important question to ask well why, why, why are you in this situation because we know why they're in that situation we can help them better but listen that should not be our first question it should not be our first response our first response should be i want to make sure that i have god's heart toward this person then i might ask why then then, then we might we might have a discussion then we might really try to dig in and try to help but, but, but my first response has to be, do I have the heart of God toward this person? And the reason that's so important, as we're going to see in just a second, is because my relationship with God, my prayers being answered, they depend on what is, what is my heart toward the needy. Right Now, let's, let's jump into that. That's really what I want to talk to you about today, is, is, is this idea that how you treat the poor and needy it matters in your relationship with God. It matters in your prayers being answered. It matters in how close to God you are. It matters in whether, whether God is, is sending his riches down the pipeline into your life. It matters. Okay, so when, when I hear stuff like that, my, my ears perk up. Like, all right, my relationship with God is gonna be affected by my heart toward the needy. All right, so let, let me give you some, some verses here and then we'll jump into our main verse Okay, so Proverbs 14, 21. These are just verses that basically say your relationship with God matters, okay, in how, in how you treat the needy. So whoever despises his neighbor, this is Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Okay, so just a generic verse there. The guy is blessed who is generous to the poor. Look at Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who... And listen to this. He who is generous to the needy honors him. When you're generous to the needy, you honor God. This, this is a, a good one. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Man, what, what an interesting concept, isn't it? If, if you're generous to the poor, you're actually lending to who? That guy, right? And you want paid back, Right? You ever do that? Like you lend and say, yeah, I want paid back, you know, and you better pay me back either in getting your life straightened up, either in show me some fruit and, you know, show me some dry, or, or, or I, I want to be paid back, you know, actually in the money. But, but this, is, this is a new concept, right? Whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord. 
and he will repay him for his deed. That, that's a cool concept, right? Like in your giving to, to the needy, you're actually lending to the Lord. Okay, on the other hand, if you close your wallet, your ears, your wallet, your heart, your, if you close that to the poor, God will respond to you in a negative way. And that's where our verse comes in. Let me read it again, Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Meaning if you ignore the needy, if you're unresponsive, unresponsive to the needs of the, of, that you see around you, that you know of in the world, when you are in need, your cry will go unanswered. That's big stuff. The clear implication here is that being unresponsive to the needy is a hindrance to prayer. Now, when, when, I, when I judge what's a big deal, God not answering my prayers, that's a big deal. Does that get you shook up? That gets me shook up. Like when, the, the thought that I could live in such a way, is that a new concept to you, by the way? Have you thought, oh, you know, God always answers all prayers equally? He doesn't. He doesn't, right? Like, like you need to be in a certain posture that, 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 that opens the channel between you and God so that God answers your prayer. But, but, but this idea that, that Proverbs just gives us is that if, if your prayers are hindered, if you're not fellowshipping with God, if you're not close to God, you're drifting away from God, you're cold, there's a cold distance between you and God, like, like that, that can be the result of how you responded to the needy. And that's bad. I want my prayers to be answered. Like when I pray to God, I want him to hear. I want him to speak. I was in first service uh, not too long ago, and, and before I was shaking hands every day, and somebody brought something to my attention that I'm going to need to make a decision on. And you know what I immediately did as I walked away from them? I prayed, you know? I was like, oh, God, I do not know what to do here. Please give me wisdom. Like, when I pray like that, I want to have confidence that God's going to. Like, he's, he's going to answer. Like, I want my prayers to be answered. I, and here's why I need him. I, I, maybe you don't think you do. Maybe, maybe you kind of walk through life saying, man, God, I got it. If I need you, I'll call 911, you know, or whatever God's phone number is. You know, if there's an emergency, I'll shoot one up to you. But pretty much, God, I've got it. And that's not the way I think about life. Guys, I need him today. I need forgiveness of my sins today. I need him to open my eyes to truth today. I, I need him to keep me from sin. I need him to keep me from the consequences of sin. I need strength. I need power. Power over temptation. Like, I know I need that. I, I need wisdom to make the right decisions that bring blessing and not disaster. I need provision. I need daily bread. I, I need him to work in the hearts of my family and my children to draw them to himself. I am keenly aware I cannot affect my children like I want to. I need God to do that. I need him to work in them. I need him to save and redeem and forgive and transform those that I love, my family, my friends, my neighbors. I need him to give me joy. Two weeks ago, we talked about a crushed spirit and a joyful heart. And I am very much aware that joy comes from God. I need joy in him. I need him to give me that. I need, to give, I need him to give me peace. Okay, an absence of anxiety. I need him to give me open doors for gospel conversations. I need him. And so the reality that I could be living in a way that closes that, that's scary to me. Like the reality that I could, I could live in such a way where God, God's not hearing my prayer. I want to know about that. So is it just here? Is, is, it, is this the only verse in the Bible that says, you know, if you do this, God will not hear? It's not. There's a bunch of them. Would you like to know some of them? Okay, good, good, good. I was, I was kind of hoping you would, so I just happen to have some handy. 
and we're going to look at them together. So the first one is in 1 Peter, and it's, it's to husbands. This is a big one for husbands. Okay, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Man, did you hear that? The, the Bible tells me that if, I, if, I am, if I'm harsh toward Emma, if I'm living in sin toward Emma, that actually I've got a problem with Emma, but I have a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that God's, that, that just hindered my prayers. That hindered my, my ability to call upon the Lord and to receive from Him. And, and I have experienced that both in a, in a very physical way and, and probably in a spiritual way as well. But, I, but I'm thinking of a physical way. Like I actually remember times in my marriage where, where I was at odds with him and, and we, were, we were upset about something and we were hurt about something and, and, our, and we went to bed and we, and we always pray when we get in bed together, we, 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 we pray to the Lord and I remember just laying there being like, okay, I'm supposed to pray and you know, I, I always pray and I always start us off in prayer. But like, like, have you ever tried to pray and you're like, you know, like, have you ever done that? Like, like I just like, I can't do it. Like, I can't do it. I know what to say. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? I can be like, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Bless our kids. Amen. You know, I can't even get that out, you know? Like, I, I can't get anything out. And it's because I, I know I'm a hypocrite. I know God's saying, Jason, I'm calling you to do something else, and you're not doing it. So I couldn't pray. Like, we, and then it happened this way every time. It's like, Emma's just laying over there. You know, she just knows God's hammering on me. She could pray and let me off the hook. She doesn't. She just. And so then I got I to repent. And, and uh, you know, I, I, particularly early in our marriage, there were seven nights, you know, lay there five minutes, and then be like, all right, babe, I'm sorry. You know, hey, let's get this deal right. You know, we'll work it out. Sorry I said that. You know, that was harsh. That was whatever. I forgive you. Whew. Dear God, thank you for this. You know, pray. So I've experienced that. But, but the scarier version is when, when God's calling you to do something and you've just said no. And you've said no so much. You know, and you've, you've, you've got things, things are so cold in the marriage that you're just going ahead and praying. You know, you've kind of worked over that. And, but God's not answering. Wives, you're thinking, man, I'm glad we're out of this deal. I'm glad that's just the husbands. Let me let Isaiah hammer on you a little bit, all right? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. This is just for everybody. This is every Christian, all right? Here, here's what Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's, that's just a general statement to all Christians that says, all believe, all of God's people that says this. Look, if, you, if you're living in open sin, you're living in habitual sin, you're living in unconfessed sin, and God has addressed that to you, and you've said no, you've said, I'm not changing, I'm not getting it right, I'm, and I'm not, then the Lord's not hearing your prayer. How about some specific things? How about like unforgiveness? Listen to, the, listen to this in Mark, Mark 11, 25. And whenever you stand praying, Okay, so whenever you stand praying, what should you do? Well, step one, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So when you stand praying, what should you do? What's step one? Well, you, if, if, there's, if there's unforgiveness in your heart, step one, get that right. Okay? If you have anything against anyone, so that, okay, 
so that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. How about James? James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, right? Me, I need it. Let him ask God. Good. Who gives generously, even better. It's all awesome without reproach, and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Here's a scary one. Verse 7. That person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. That guy shouldn't suppose he'll receive So what does it mean to pray in faith? Well, here's not praying in faith. God, would you give me this opi- your opinion on this? Would you give me your opinion so that I can make my own decision? I'm not going to do that one thing, but God, give me your opinion. That, that's not praying in faith. You know what praying in faith is? Praying in faith is saying, okay, God, I'll do whatever you say. I trust you. Give, give me wisdom. God, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I will do whatever you say. I trust you. That's faith. God will answer that prayer. So, so, so what, 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 why are we talking about all this stuff? Well, we're talking about all this stuff because what we're saying is there, there are ways that you can act that actually keep your prayers from being answered. They're a hindrance to your prayers, okay? So, to be, so the, the topic we're talking about here is to be callous or unresponsive or unconcerned to the needy, to the poor, to those lacking resources can actually hinder your prayers. So let me read the verse again, ready? So we, we've seen from Scripture, this is a deal, this happens, okay? So Proverbs 21, 13 says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be Answered. All right. So when we're living with a callous, stingy heart toward the needy, God is not hearing our prayers. Now, why? Why would God do that? Why would? Why would He not? Why is that a big deal? Why? Why is is just neglecting needy people? Why is walking past needy people and saying that's not my business and uh, I don't care? You know why? Why is that a big deal? Well, number one, it says to God, "I don't love you." Okay. You're saying, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I never said that to God. Well, actually, you did when, when you don't love those who are in need. Because here's the interesting thing in the Scriptures, okay? So, first of all, God doesn't need anything from you. Did you know that? Like, not, like God never is like, man, I need a little cash. Can someone help me out? You know, God never does that. God never says, I need a little power. Does anybody got any strength? They can, they can help me move this. I can't lift this. No, no, God never does. He never needs any of that. But you know, you know what God does? He does put himself in the position of the needy. Or, or of the believer even. So that how you treat them is how you're treating God. There's this really cool uh, thing that happens in Acts 9. You remember when Saul, before he became a Christian, he's persecuting Christians? Like he's, he's putting them in jail. He's killing them. He's mistreating them. And, and Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. Remember what he says? He says, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, what, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, hey, Saul, you're, you're, you're persecuting these Christians, but actually, you're persecuting me. When you do that, you're striking out at me. How you treat them is how you're treating me. And in fact, this gets so detailed that Jesus tells us, we looked at this about six months ago when we were finishing up Matthew. He tells us that on the judgment day, you know what God's going to do? God's going to stretch out your life in front of you. And, and he's going to pick out the times that you had needy people in your life, okay? Let, let, me, let me read you a little bit of it, okay? 
He, he says to the righteous, he says, um, come and enter into heaven. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was um, sick, you, 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 you came to me. You, when I was naked, you clothed me. When, uh, you, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Uh, and then the righteous are going to say what? They're going to say, when? when? When did that happen, Lord? And, and he says this in verse 40. He said, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see what he's saying? He said, man, when you helped that person, when you, when you built a relationship, when you visited, when you cared for, when, when, when you responded to the needy, you were doing what? You were loving me. You were loving me. He's like, I, I, was, I was in the place of the needy, and you were loving me. That's the kind of heart we want to have. We want to love Jesus in, in loving the needy. There's a scary verse in Proverbs 17. Verse 5, it says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. You know, I read that verse. I, I, you know what I thought? I thought, why, why would anybody mock the poor? And, and you know the only reason why we would do that? The, the reason that would, that would cause you to do that is you looking at yourself and saying, I did it right. You did it wrong. Like, I, I made all the right decisions, and you made all the wrong ones. I worked hard, and you didn't. And so I deserve to be where I am, and you deserve to be where you are. Now, my friends, that, that does not have scriptural support, okay? Again, poverty is complicated, and, and people make decisions that wreck their lives. Absolutely, yes. But, but from a theological standpoint, why... Why do you have what you have? You know what James 1, 17 says? It says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, right? You, you know what 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says? It says, why do you, how, let's see, how or why? Um, what, what do you have that's not been given to you? Is that what it says? What does it say? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it's like asking a question, like, like why do you have what you have, something like that. Kenny's making me struggle. He's making me actually look this up in my Bible. Making me use my Bible. All right, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. All right. For who sees anything different in you? What? There it is. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? Why do you have, why do you have what you have? Here's, what, here's a real clear one. Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore with your fathers. And so, so if we have what we have from the Lord, then we should always have a humble spirit for those who don't have. And, and, and we should see a unique opportunity to love on God when we see the needy. What, what's your first response when you see someone who's needy? Is it? Is it? Try to get away, you know? What's your first response when, when you see the needy? You see, our, our first response ought to be, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to really love Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, well, man, I, I got 22 kids, you know, and 49 grandchildren. You know, I got plenty of opportunity to be given to people, okay? But, but here, here's the thing. There, there's something that, there's a, you actually love God more when you love the needy than when you love your children. Did you know that? Why? Why would I say that? Because when you love your kids, 
part of that's for you, isn't it? Part of that's for you. When you love your grandkids, part of that is actually for you. Right, because whenever we love our kids and whenever we help them do well and whenever we kind of pick them up, whenever we do that, there, there's, there's part of that that's for us. Like, like it makes us feel good, right? It, it blesses us. So almost the same with your friends. Not quite so, but, but you probably have friends and they're just really enjoyable. Like you love being around them. Like, like you invite them over for you. Like you, you like it. Like you enjoy it, right? It's a blessing to you. They're funny or they're insightful or they're wise. And, and so, so you're kind of getting something for, for it. But, but Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, when you give to the poor, when you give to the relationally broken, when you give to the socially stunted, when you give to the economically devastated he says, I know that's for me. You want to hear him say it? He said it a lot better. Luke 14, here's what Jesus said. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. See what he's saying? Don't go too far with this. He's not saying never feed your family or friends, okay? But, but what he's saying is when you do that, that, that's honestly a lot of that's for you, right? Like, like it's, 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 it's not so much about God. It, maybe a little bit of it is, but a lot of it's about you. But listen to what he says next. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Why will you be blessed? Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Man, there's a faith step there. Yeah, there's a couple things that really please the Lord about that, okay? So, so number one, again, we, we love God when we love the needy, okay? And, and, and when we love the needy for his sake, you know what, what's happening there? We're showing that we trust him, right? Because when we love other people, it may be for an immediate benefit to us. Right. But when we're loving the needy, we're saying, "Okay, God, I I know I'm not getting anything back from this, but Lord, I'm loving you and I trust you to take care of me. See that? There's the faith step. I trust you to take care of me. So so number one, we want to be responsive to the needy because being responsive to the needy says, God, I love you. When we're not responsive to the needy, we say, God, I don't love you. Okay. number two, we want to be responsive to the needy because we want to be like him. Okay. So the negative part, saying it negatively, would be if I'm unresponsive to the poor and the needy, it's I'm saying I don't want to be like you. So what, what's God's like? What is God like? What, what's his character like? Let, let me give you a verse that magnifies his character. Okay, you ready? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you're a Christian in this room, let me tell you your story, okay? I'm going to tell you your story. Here's your story. You were broken, okay? You were broken, and you were broken by your own sin. And the Bible said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. You know what you earned? You earned death, okay? You know what you earned from what you did, from how you lived, from your, you have earned an eternal death, and the wrath of God was upon you, and you had no ability to help yourself, Okay? You're lying, Ezekiel, the way Ezekiel frames it in the Old Testament, you are lying in your blood. 
walling around about to die forever, okay, spiritually. And you're, you couldn't do anything to help yourself. And God comes along, God who is incredibly rich, and he reaches down in mercy, he impoverishes himself, and he lifts you up, and he makes you rich. That's just what that said. You see, here's the story of Jesus. He was unimaginably rich. All the resources of the universe belonged to him. He, he created everything. He had no lack. He had no need. He was full of honor and glory and power and majesty. And you know what Jesus did? He became poor. He was born to teenage parents in a stable, in a barn with farm animals because they couldn't afford a motel and no one would give him a room. He was abused. He grew up in an occupied country to an obscure family where there was in a nowhere town. He experienced hunger and thirst and lack. He was oppressed and maligned and falsely accused and beaten without cause and taken advantage of. And in his death, he died as a man with no rights, a man stripped of his dignity, a man publicly mocked and executed and he did all of that to address your poverty. He did all of that so that you would, for billions of years, be rich beyond your imagination. So what's the character of God? Well, the character of God is, you know what his heart's like? His heart is like this. When he sees somebody wallowing in a sea of need with absolutely no way to help themselves, he impoverishes himself to make them rich. We should want to be like him. We, we should want to be lavish. God's lavish, isn't he? Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorite verses. It says that, that God... God put us in Christ, okay? Why did he do that? What's, what's his plan? What's he going to do with us? You ever ask that question? What's he going to do with us? Here's what he's going to do. He says, in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. God, God wanted us to move close to him so that he could dump his riches on us forever. That's the kind of God he is. We should want to be lavish, shouldn't we? We should want to be lavish. We, we should want to figure out ways to be, to be lavish toward those in need. Just to be like our father. The first person that we had in the homeless shelter, um, I was super excited to open it, super excited to get somebody in there. And I kept checking on him. I think he thought I was bugging him. But I just like, you know, do you need anything? You know, how's the room? Temperature okay? You know, and it happened to be Asher's birthday that day. And so we had a bunch of cake left over. And so got him a cake and ice cream and got him a soda and packaged it all up in one of our kitchen boxes, you know. And, and I knocked on his door late at night, you know. You want some cake, you know. Like this is full service homeless shelter, you know. We serve cake, you know. And we don't. But, but, but there's just something that's fun about that. There's, there's something that's fun about being lavish. And, and it's because that's how God treats me. So number one, we want to be responsive to the needy because it's a way to say I love you to God. Number two, it's a way to say, God, I want to be, I want to be like you. I want to, be, I want to have your character. And number three, we should be responsive to the needy because we want to be a part of his plan to care for others. You know, I talked to, just a little bit ago. Why, why do you have what you have, right? And that's complicated, right? I, I, I know you worked hard and I know you busted your tail and Sweat and dirt and blood. I, I, I know that. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. 
But remember what's also true is that every good and perfect gift comes around from above. What's also true that what, what do you have that you've not been given? Nothing. What's also true is that, you know, why, why were you born in America? Why were you born in America in this century? You know, when, when you were coming through the little conception canal there, you know, did you have a choice? You know, was there some, you know, well, there's the India track and there's the Pakistan track and there's the, the Malaysia track and whoo, Woodward, Oklahoma. I think I'll take that one. Is that what you did? You did not do that. You didn't choose to be born like God in his sovereign grace, you know, made you one of the most wealthy people in the history of the world. Like that's just God. And so my next question is, why did he do that? What's he want us to do with it? Let me read you some verses, okay? So, so he, these, these are really clear about what God intends for us to do with what he's given to us, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. For I do not mean, by the way, the context of this is Paul's bringing an offering. I do not, he's taking up an offering. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, let me keep reading in the next chapter. This is really a good one. This is kind of long, but just follow along. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able. Okay, here's, here comes his provision. Why does he give us money? God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may what? What are you supposed to do? Abound in every good work. Look at the next verse. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? For sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Why does God enrich you? So you can be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. What's God's purpose in blessing us? So that we can turn around and bless others. Do we have any thieves in the room? Anybody here? You probably shouldn't raise your hand if you are. That'd be detrimental to your business. But if you are, this is a verse for you, okay? So Paul writes to thieves, which is always kind of a funny concept to me. He's like, let those who think, you know. anyway, so Ephesians 4.28, he says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So, so the thief, he shouldn't steal, he should labor. He should do honest work with his own hands. Why? So he can go to the mall, right? Or, keep reading, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that interesting? Why should he work hard? So he can share. In the first service, I wrapped it up right there, okay? And then I immediately regretted it because there's a question that I get every time I preach on giving, poverty, anything like that. There's a question I get, and I, and I just need to address it every time, okay? It's just something on, pe- it's on people's hearts. So, so going, going out of the first service, here comes somebody, and, and their question is this. I bet it might be on your heart as well. So, Pastor, are you saying, that this the way they ask it, are you saying that we should give to the person along the the interstate that has a sign, you know? 
Here's my answer to that question. You should do exactly what God tells you to do, okay? So, so there's, there's two parts to that question. Number one is your heart should be generous toward the Lord, okay? Your heart should be generous to the Lord. Your heart should be to love Christ in the face of the needy. Your heart should be to, to be generous with what you've been given, okay? Now, that's gonna play itself out in a lot of different ways. So the, the, the answer to that question is a complicated one. First of all, do you have any, any impression of the Lord? Like sometimes I feel like, nah. Sometimes I feel like, ah, I think God's told me something here, you know? Do you have an impression of the Lord? Maybe you don't have an impression of the Lord. My second question is, what's the circumstance, okay? So here's my favorite thing to do. If I, if I have time, okay, and if it's the right situation, what I love to do is say, hey, I wanna get to know you better. Hey, would you come on in here? Like a lot of times it's where a restaurant is or something. Would you come on in here and sit down with my family and let's talk? You know, we'll buy you, we'll buy you dinner. We'll buy you supper. Man, that, that's what I really like to do. I, I want to know the story. I, I want to hear. I want to know how I can really help them. I want to know how I can pray for them. That, that's what I really like to do. I don't always have time for that. And honestly, it doesn't always work out great. Like, like I've had some bad experiences. We set a guy down in uh, somewhere in New Mexico uh, or Arizona. I don't know. We were going to the Grand Canyon. But anyway, I set a guy down with my family, and, man, he was out of his mind, you know. And pretty soon I'm like, kids, go sit over there. Daddy's going to talk to this guy, you know. And hopefully not get killed, you know. But anyway, like it doesn't always go great, you know. But, but, but a lot of times I get to know like who they are. Like that's really what I want to do. Now, do we always have time for that? No, right? And sometimes it's, it's, it's just an impression of the Lord. It's, it's time. It's, but but I, I think if your heart is right, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be ready to make that decision one way or not. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., uh, a few weeks ago, there's a, a lot of folks asking for things in, in D.C., uh, not just the politicians, but actually like in Union Station and stuff. Um, and, and like sometimes I gave, sometimes I didn't. And, and actually, I felt like my heart was open and ready. I didn't feel bad about either one, you know? Like there was a time where, guys, I was, I was actually walking to see my daughter. Like she was over at the other end, I'm walking to see her, and, and this guy like comes up in front of me, he's like, you know, Hey, buddy, do you have some change? And like, like honestly, I was, just, I was just ready to go see my daughter. And I was like, yeah, here you go. You know, and I just handed him whatever's in my pocket. It was like a buck's worth of change or whatever, you know? And, and didn't think a thing about it. You know, other times, like, no, I'm sorry. You know, you know? So, but the important, where's your heart, right? Is your heart proud? Do you, do you feel like what you have is yours? Um, are you arrogant toward, toward the needy? Or, or are you humble? Are you, are you ready to give? Is, is your heart one to love Jesus? Man, I, I think if your heart is right, you'll know what to do. And God will use you. And sometimes you'll give and sometimes you won't. And maybe all times, you, I don't know. Like, you'll do what God tells you to. I have full confidence in that. That's how I answer that question. Okay, let's pray. Father, help us. God, just to have the right heart toward you, the right heart toward the needy, the right heart toward the poor. And God, I just thank you for what you've given, and I pray that you give us great opportunity just to, to be a blessing, to be a blessing to people, to be a blessing to God, to those in need. Father, give us compassion. Give us, uh, give us character like your character. God, help us to trust you. Father, to trust you to be our provider. Father, we, we ask for help in this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.